so excited about. We're going to be looking at the book of Genesis, starting off today, Genesis chapter 1. You can open up in your Bible there to the beginning of Genesis. And I, um, I've been studying it for a, little for a little bit here now, and I'm so excited about sharing with what I've been learning. I'm excited to hear how you guys interact together in your groups, starting next week especially, obviously. Um, and as we jump into Genesis 1, I'd love to like hear from you guys. Like, what are some of the questions that come to mind for you when you hear, we're going to look at Genesis chapter 1. We're going to go down through basically the first seven days, which takes us through the first four verses or three verses of chapter 2. And like, what are some of the things that just kind of pop to mind? You're like, huh, I'm kind of wondering about this. Or maybe, maybe secretly like, oh, I'm a little nervous too about what are we going to talk about? Where is this going to go? I mean, there's a lot of conflict that I've had in the past relative to this. Maybe you have some questions about, like, does my faith jive with science? I mean, are those things in conflict? Do I have to um, kind of take this with a grain of salt? Because science has shown that this is not true and accurate. Um, or maybe science is just totally wrong. <laughs> just, it's completely off. Um, there's a lot of possible questions. Anything that you guys, like, that comes out from you guys' minds, not necessarily related to science, but that comes to mind for you guys when you think about going into Genesis chapter 1? Okay, that's a really good question. That's huge. Huge. Theologically massive. Yes? Meaning, why do you take the... Yeah, yeah, that's a great question too. Right. Yeah, there's specific things done in an order. Yeah. What else? Yeah, is there significance in the order? Yeah. There's, there's one element of that that I'm going to draw out today um, that gets to that a little bit. Anything else? Well, I'm excited about jumping into this passage, and let me pray first, and then we'll go into it. Father, I thank you so much for this time we can have together. Lord, and I just pray, God, that, that your word would, um, would rule today. Lord, that what you want us to learn, what you want us to gain from it, would be what we gain from it. Jesus. And I, get, I ask that your Holy Spirit would move in our hearts to give us clarity and understanding as we go through this. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Alright, so it looks like I'm having some kind of problem here with my, my slides. Can you go to the beginning of Genesis 1? There we go. Yeah, Ali, I might need to have you back there. In the beginning, I'm going to go ahead and read this passage. And actually, no wait, before I do that, before I do that, I want to go step, take a step back. So, I forgot, my slides messed me up there, my thinking, my train of thought. So I think one of the important things that when we're coming to the text here is, and this is actually a true of any time you're studying the Bible, it is extremely important to make sure you, as best you can, understand who the audience was, who the recipients were of what the original writing. Okay, so this was written at a time, a specific time we know it was written by Moses, Actually, which is significant, like, he's going back in time, it's significant into ancient history. You know, the first 11 chapters, Abraham, all that, there's a lot of history before Moses even gets to the scene. But Moses is the one who wrote it. And Moses gave it to a particular people, which was the people of Israel, as they're about to step in to the promised land. Okay? And there's a lot that happens even before that. 
Remember Moses, God raised up Moses and led uh, the nation of Israel out of Egypt. Remember they were, they'd become, they'd gone from just a small you know, family with a bunch of kids and grandkids and now they're a massive nation over hundreds of years in Egypt. And over time the Egyptians started to enslave them. So they're being heavily persecuted and abused by the Egyptians as slaves being forced into hard, hard, heavy labor. They cry out to God, and God hears them. He raises up Moses, and God just shows his power over Egypt and over all the nations, over all of creation even, and rescues them out of miraculously incredible story. He takes them uh, to Mount Sinai where he gives them the law, and then he takes them on right to the edge of the promised land. Remember, they sent out a bunch of spies into uh, their promised land, and all the spies came back with the exception of two guys. Do you guys remember the two guys' names? Who knows the two guys' names, the exception? Not Judah, somebody else. <laughs> Who are the two spies? Joshua and... Joshua and Caleb were the two spies that came back. They said, guys, it, let's not listen to these other spies, because the other spies were saying, this enemy is too strong. We cannot defeat, we cannot take this land. Joshua and Caleb, they say, guys, it doesn't matter what's over that river when we have God on our side. But the people did not listen to Joshua and Caleb. They listened to all the other spies. And they basically, I mean, we read in Hebrews that they did not believe God and that that was sin. And so God basically said, all right, this whole generation, you guys cannot enter into my rest, into my promised land. So you get to walk around the desert for 40 more years. So until that generation all died off. So the, the recipients of Genesis 1 are their kids and their grandkids. You know, some of them were maybe kids born in Egypt. They might have some memory of what God did in rescuing them out of Egypt. But probably most of the people were actually born in the desert, wandering around. I mean, like their normal life, when they're, you know, they're raised up and just wandering around time. Now we're moving on. It's like, oh, there goes the cloud. We're going to go follow the cloud. Everybody pack up. That's what they've been doing. Now they're at the promised land and they're ready. So as I read through this passage, I want you to like, kind of imagine yourself. It's like, okay, you're the head of the household. You got your sword. You got maybe like a pack you're going to try to carry. And you got your family, your wife, your kids. And it's like, we got all our gear. And we're looking into this land of some pretty ominous, powerful, entrenched people that we've got to take on. It's going to be difficult. That's who Moses is writing to. Okay. So again, like I said before, when you're reading Scripture, it's an important thing to try to understand what is it trying to communicate to the original writers. And we do that today, even in all things that we read and write today. Right? If you read an editorial in the Washington Post or on any kind of website, it's not fair to criticize it if you don't first understand what they're trying to communicate. It's the same thing with Scripture. You've got to understand what it's trying to communicate, and then we can start to apply it. We don't get to just decide whatever it means. We, what is it? Like, God, what are you trying to communicate here? So he's saying something to this particular people that are about to head into this land. And here's the thing, too, that I want to say about all that, is that I don't think that they're asking questions like, uh, is the earth really, really old, or is the earth young? I don't think they're asking questions like, when he says day is that a literal 24-hour time frame um, I don't think they're asking questions like 
well, did God use evolution? Or uh, does evolution mean that God didn't create? Those are all modern questions that we ask. They're good questions, and I believe there are really good scholarly answers to a lot of those questions on a lot of different even sides of that, right? But I think what he's trying to do for them is encourage them about the nature of who their God is. And so we need to make sure that we're hearing that. And that's actually another super important principle for us, guys, as a church. That we listen to God and we respond. It's not the other way around. Now, Jesus, God wants to hear from us. He's a gracious and good Father. We can go to Him with all of our problems and needs. That's awesome about Him. But guys, if, if our whole time in Scripture, if our whole time in prayer is just, God, here are all my needs, do you have a pencil, God? Because you're going to need to write this down. But, 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 but here's my seven things, and I'm out. I actually think that's a lot of our problem as Christians, is we're going to God with our requests versus going to God with, God, what's your request for me? What do you have for me? I want to hear what you're saying, and then I'm going to respond to it. You dictate God, I respond. You speak, I listen. You command, I obey. Right? That, that is super important, guys. So if we go to Genesis chapter 1 and our whole focus is about modern questions of science, we possibly are going to miss the main things that he really wants to communicate to us. Okay? So that's kind of my setup for this. And so when we're reading through this text, I want you guys to be thinking about like, that guy who's about to lug all of everything into the promised land. We, we, the kids all left when we stopped worshiping. There's no dismissal of the children for this adventure. They're about, I mean, like, this is their life. And you're wondering, can I trust God? Is he really going to take care of all this? This is kind of crazy. Is he really behind us in all those kinds of things? So I don't know, if, are my slides? Looks like they're not. So I will just read it off here, and now that you can follow along with me. All right. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. This is like an intro, like summary of this whole section. This is what God is about to do, summarize the whole thing. Verse 2, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And here you have, like, as we go through Genesis, it's going to be stories, story after story after story. And an important thing about stories is start to see the plots. Every story has a plot. This is the setup. He's setting the scene. God comes and he sees, wow, there's this problem. With the earth is without form and void. There's darkness over the face of the deep. Like, this is not good. This is not the way, this is not a safe place for people to live. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Enter our hero, the first big character in this story. Something's about to happen. Something's about to go down. Right? So this is the whole setup, guys, right here. How is, how is he going to solve this problem as a story going on? And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. Oh, the stupid thing. Messed me up. All right, Allie, you're going to have to just do it without me. Sorry about that. Okay. This is good technology. Hasn't gone wrong for 2,000 years. All right, verse 3. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. 
And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Verse 6. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. So already, he has pushed back the darkness. He has pushed back the waters. He has pushed back the chaos, and he has brought order into a world. He is already starting to accomplish those things. And, and I, I'm saying push back because he also later, we find out with the flood, we find out with the, the um, plagues they brought in Egypt, he can also take back those limits. This is the God that we serve. Verse 14, And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let there be signs for seasons and for days and years. And let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens and give light upon the earth. And it was so... And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply in the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps in the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over creeping things that creep on the earth. You know, in ancient times when a king from a foreign land would conquer and take over another place, he would erect for himself a statue, an image of himself, making it clear who's in charge around here. And I think that's another part of the, the, the picture we're getting here is God is making it clear that he is the ultimate king, but I have set my image 
to have dominion over my creation. We aren't subjects. We aren't uh, servile servant slaves kind of thing. We, we rule with God, under God, over his creation. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Together, men and women make the image of God. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant-yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, Everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw that he, what he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there we have, I think it's the, the culmination of the story. All this problem that he comes into, and now the completion of it. He looks out and he says, it is very good what I have made. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. And then chapter 2, three more verses. Thus the heavens of the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it God rested from all his work that he had done. So God is revealing to the nation of Israel as they are about to step into battle to take the promised land that God's given them. He is revealing things about himself. You know, Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. They're known as the Pentateuch. That's what we, the, we, we call them. And Genesis, you know, each of those books are foundational to everything that we believe as Christians. And the first three chapters of Genesis, Genesis 1, 2, and 3, are especially important for laying down this foundation of all these other things that the rest of Scripture and God's revelation that he gives us are built on. And there are a ton of things in this passage. And I cannot and I will not, you're welcome, go through all of those things. But I do want to highlight three things that I think are foundational that he's communicating about himself. He's saying, this is who I am. This is the kind of God that I am. And it's foundational to who we are as Christians. These things apply not just to that nation heading into the promised land, but they apply to us as Christians today. He's revealing these three things about himself. And again, if we are consumed with I think they're good questions. Please don't hear me minimize the scientific questions. And I do think there are great answers to some of those hard questions. But I think if that's our whole focus on Genesis 1, we're going to miss the big things that God's saying about himself. Okay? So I, I don't want us to go to God with, God, here are my questions about creation and how you got things started. I think we need to go to God and say, God, what do you have to say to us? right now. Okay, so three things. You ready, Allie? First thing, the first, uh, where am I? Here we go. Three foundational things 
that God wants us to know about himself from Genesis chapter 1. And the first one that I want to highlight is I must listen to Jesus and obey because his word is powerful. I have to listen to Jesus and obey because his word is powerful. And he, we see that all through this passage. And, and remember, the nation of Israel, you've got, you got your sword, you've got your pack, you've got your kids tagging along. Is his word powerful enough? Is his word powerful for us, this little ragtag group, to take on these heavily fortified cities? Is his word powerful enough for us today? There are ten times in this passage where it says, and God said. And the number ten theologians have seen that pattern throughout Scripture. It has this idea of completeness. And, and uh, that, that he, he's put that idea right in the Scripture. And God said, and God said, and God said. Ten times it comes to, uh, he says, let it be so. Let there be. And then, of course, if you're an Israelite, you might be thinking of all these tens. You might be thinking as well about, we just got a ten commandments from him that summarizes his entire moral law. The power of God's word covering his whole thing. And then I love, uh, I've got on the screen here, Psalm 33, verse 6 and 9. It says, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their hosts. And then verse 9, For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. And then the power of the word of God is expanded when we get to the New Testament. We read this at the beginning of the service with John 1. Let me read it again. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The Apostle Paul expands on it in Colossians. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before, things, before all things, and in him all things hold together. This exalted God of the universe, whom all things were created through, is the same God who humbles himself down to the, into the position of a servant, the same God who goes onto the cross on our behalf, who comes out of the grave. The power of the Word of God is powerful. The Word is powerful. But there's a problem in that all of creation listens and obeys, but the pinnacle of creation has a problem with that. We sometimes listen. We sometimes obey. The power of God's Word. But we don't listen to it, guys. And Psalm 19, I think, I can't read it all right now, but it's just, I think it summarizes this whole idea, this tension of the power of God's Word with the lack of our obedience. 
Because Psalm 19 starts about with the, the incredible things that God's created and how all those cre- things are declaring the glory of God. But then it comes to the end of Psalm 19, the psalmist is just honestly and humbly crying out to God, but God, I want to obey. I need your help. Because that is our status, is the, is the pinnacle of his creation, the image bearers of his creation. The power of his word brings the universe into existence. And yet we don't listen and we don't obey that powerful word. Let's listen to Jesus. Let's obey Jesus. Let's listen to what he has. And let's obey him because his word is powerful. And God said, and it was so. And God said, and it was so. And then the second thing that God reveals about himself that I think is foundational is I have nothing to fear because God is providential. I have nothing to fear because God is providential. Providence, I think, is an awesome word. And it's one of those words in Christian culture that I don't think we use enough. You know, we we talk about Jesus being king and Lord. We talk about his sovereignty a lot. Those are all about his authority. But the cool thing about the word providence is that it implies him being king, but it also says that he's actively engaged in his creation. He's involved in it. He, he, he didn't like just create, uh, you know, wind up the universe and just set it loose. He is staying engaged in it providentially. I have nothing to fear. Again, if you're an Israelite, it's like, okay, I've seen God do all these things. I've seen all the creation that he's made, but is he going to be engaged in what I'm about to do? where he's leading me into this hard fight? Is he providentially engaged in my life? The number seven God uses to symbolize perfection. And the number seven is throughout this passage. Artistically, it's phenomenal. The very first verse is seven Hebrew words. I don't know the Hebrew words, but I can give you the English. It's in the beginning, created, Elohim, God, the heavens, and the earth. And in the second verse is 14 Hebrew words. There are uh, seven days of creation, of course, where God established this pattern of work and rest. There are 35 Elohims, exactly 35 Elohims, 35, a multiple of seven. There are 21 heavens. There are 21 earths both multiples of seven. There are seven, and it was so's. God orchestrated his creation exactly and precisely the way he wanted. He's providentially engaged in our life. And of course, if you know like the rest of Genesis, near the end of Joseph's incredible story, remember what Joseph said to his brothers? Remember that? And, And Joseph had been betrayed by his brothers, Joseph went through unbelievable treatment. But he came to the end of his life and he sees his brothers and he says to them, what you meant for evil, like his brothers were truly trying to hurt him and they did. What you meant for evil, God meant for good. In other words, God is even providentially over evil. And then think about Romans 8.28. Remember where Paul promises, you know, shares the promise of God that 
that all things happen together for good. All things happen together for good for those that love God and are called according to its purposes. Now, good, what, how do you define good? You know, was it good for Joseph to be locked up in that horrible prison for so, many, so long, to be kidnapped, essentially, and, and by his brothers? None of that was good from a human standpoint. But near the end of his life, he had the opportunity to see how God used it for good. God truly did use it for good. He is providentially engaged in his creation. And if he is providentially engaged in his creation and his people, then I have nothing to fear that's created. Nothing to fear that's created. And getting to the, to the point about the order of the, the events and the days, Again, there's so much there, and I think a lot of analysis could be made that I can't even touch. But one that I do want to highlight that I think goes with the providence is that on the fourth day, which is after uh, vegetation is made, and it's uh, before um, the rest of the fish and the birds, all that, he creates the stars and the sun and the moon. And I think that's God's way of telling that nation that these incredible things in the sky, and he, he says the greater light for the day and the lesser light for the night, he doesn't even use the term, the words for those things. We know it's the sun and the moon. He's like, you know, the, you know, the greater light, the lesser light, they're just another thing that I've made. And all the people that you're going up against, they worship those things. They're just created things. They have no power Yet they treat the sun like it's this powerful god, with a huge god in the whole world of, of you know, the Egyptians and all the other ancient cultures of those days, and the moon and the stars, all those things. This is another thing I've made. It's no big deal. No big deal. Because you have nothing that's created to fear when our God is a providential God who made all those things with his voice. Guys, that's the idea that he's communicating here. We have nothing to fear. And the third thing that God reveals about himself that I think is foundational is that I can trust God because his design is good. I can trust God because his design is good. Over and over he says that it is good, it is good, it is good. It gets to the end and he summarizes the whole thing by saying it is very, very good. Now, I can stand up here and tell you guys as a Washington Nationals baseball fan, that Juan Soto is a very good baseball player. And I could also tell you, as a big Chick-fil-A fan, that the number one with the waffle fries and the lemonade, you know, Kanye West agrees with me, is the best number one combo that's out there. Now, there's, there's two problems with what I just said. Number one is it's an opinion. <laughs> and number two, you've got to have something to compare it to. Right? So, in other words, when I say Juan Soto is the best baseball player, I'm comparing him to other baseball players. He's not the best in a vacuum. It's, there are other baseball players that you're comparing him to. You know, and and Wendy's, or, uh, Chick-fil-A's number one couldn't be the best if there wasn't a Wendy's combo one or a McDonald's and a Burger King. I mean, it's like, that's what makes, you know, because there's these other things, that's what makes it that way. And, of course, it's also an opinion. Right? This is my opinion. Somebody else might have a different opinion. But here we have at creation, God saying, it is good, it is very good. 
He's got nothing else to compare it to. It's the first things that exist. I think what he's doing is he's saying, I'm establishing what is even the definition of good. And then secondly, he's the greatest, uh, you know, he, his opinion should matter more than anybody else's. If he says that it's good, then it is good. I've got to trust his design. His design is good. I have to trust that. You know, and of course, we know that like two chapters later, what was good gets broken significantly. And we're going to get into that next week. But we need to establish the thing right at the very beginning that this thing is good the way he made it. And I think that one of the things that's been super helpful for me to understanding Scripture is that there is a meta-narrative that runs the entire Scripture that's basically four major acts. God created, and it was good. Man sinned the fall, and it broke. And then third, Jesus Christ came and died and rose from the dead to redeem us. And then number four, he's promised to restore He's promised to restore what he created as good. Those are the four major acts. And when we look around the world, we see so much brokenness, and yet we also see good things, great things, awesome things, beautiful, wonderful things. The first three chapters of the Bible explain why, how that all works, how that works. But, and here's the other thing too, guys, is that he made it and he said it was good, He's working to redeem it and restore it. Do I trust that his plan is good? Because, again, you're in the middle of life. And, and I, I mean, we know that when the nation of Israel went in and charged in, there were people that died. There were people that died because of one guy's sin, even. I mean, it's like, it's a complicated story. It was not all pretty and easy. That's life. In our broken, our in-between world where we have been redeemed, we are being redeemed by our Savior, and we look forward to being fully restored. And it's that tension of like, man, I love this and this is good, but man, look at all this brokenness. I got this problem and that problem, my personal problem and their problem. It's like problems galore everywhere. Do I trust that his plan is good? It's not trust if you get to see all the steps and know for sure that it's going to work. That's not trust. And, and, and unfortunately, that's the reality of it, is we know how the ultimate end is, but we don't know how it gets there. And along the way, we're going to hit roadblocks, we're going to hit stumble, we're going to have problems, things are going to happen to us, things have happened. I mean, it's like you get on the list, everybody's got a list of the problems. Do I trust his plan is good? Do I trust that his plan is good? There are a lot of voices that come to us that are telling us other words, <laughs> other things that are being commanded. But ultimately, do I trust that his word is powerful? His word was powerful enough to bring all of creation into existence. That his providence is amazing. That what he created is good. I need to listen I need to obey his powerful word. I have nothing to fear because he is providentially engaged 
And I need to trust the plan of what he's doing because I know that he is good. His plan and what his work and what he does is good and amazing. Just as a way of closing, I want to give you guys this little illustration. I think that this, this has been helpful for me in just thinking about um, the first three chapters of the Bible. Because you know, here's, a, here's a chicken egg, and it's a raw chicken egg. And um, I'm not a scientist, but I think there's basically three parts. It's got a shell, it's got a white, and a yolk. That's it. Pretty straightforward. And this, these things are amazing, right? I mean, awesome source of protein. It's got a little to-go package. Pretty sweet. Um, and we can get these things in abundance. It's actually pretty amazing. Another thing that is, like, blows my mind, I, I am not a farmer, but I think chickens, lay, like, they lay one of these pretty much every single day, which is mind-blowing. And just excellent source of protein. And, health, you know, it's a healthy, inexpensive food. And it's great. It's in great condition here. And there's no technology on the planet that I know of. Maybe you guys can tell me. Maybe Joe can, the chemist can tell me that we don't have the ability to create this. That, it's like, but a chicken plops one out every single day. And, but I'm going to try, all right, so I'm going to put it in this so that hopefully this will stay sealed, and I'm going to go Genesis 3 on this. So I'm going to crack it. Yep, there we go. I'm going to shake it. All right, so now it's a mess. And, you know, if you crack an egg, you're making an omelet, and you crack the egg in such a way the shell goes down the omelet, you might if you got a lot of eggs, because eggs are kind of cheap you probably would throw away rather than try to pick out all those eggs or shells. And, but, of course, if you were really super hungry and you didn't have anything else, then you probably would like, okay, I'll, I'll pick out those shells and we'll make this work. The three parts are still all here, right? All three of those things are here. But you know what? There's also no technology on the planet that can put this back together, you know? I mean, I think Humpty Dumpty told us something about that, right? <laughs> you can't put it back together. This thing is broken, but the, the pieces of what it was at the beginning are still there. We still see it. We know what's there. We see these parts. It would take a miracle of God to go back to where this egg was before. And guys, that, that is our life, and that is the world. That is the reality of where we are today. But the Word of God came in flesh and lived a perfect life to redeem us back to himself. We don't work. We don't chase after it. Guys, we're about to uh, do communion together, and we are remembering what Jesus did for us. We're not doing it. We don't do the work. Guys, what we bring to the table is our broken eggs. That's what you got. Your broken eggs is what you bring to this table. And what we take away is his life broken on my behalf so that the brokenness of my life is on that cross so that I can now live in freedom. I can now live for him. And I can live in hope for the day when he completely and totally restores everything that was broken. And, and guys, it is hard to live in this in-between stage. Stage. Because that's where we're living. We put our faith in Jesus Christ and He redeems us. We are declared His sons and His daughters. He begins to free us. He begins to put things back together. And 
so many of you have seen those things happen in your life. But there's still stuff that's broken and there's still things around us that are problematic, that have not been fully restored yet. And those are the things where we've got to lean back on these foundational truths. His word is powerful. His word is powerful. I need to listen and I need to obey. Right? He is providentially engaged in my life. Maybe not the way I want. Maybe not in the timing that I want. But he is engaged. And I, have to, I have to trust that. I can't fear these other things. And then his plan is good. And, and it may not seem that good at the moment, but I just got to trust him in that. I just have to trust him in that because his plan is good. So we're gonna, I'm going to pray, and then Christy's going to play a little bit while you guys, when you're ready, you can come on up and take some of the communion, and then the worship band's going to come up and close us out with our final song. And then, um, like we normally do, if anybody would like to share right after that, um, we'll, we'll take a few minutes for that as well. So let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, we thank you so much for Jesus, who is the word who came into our world humbling himself as a servant to die on the cross on our behalf. Lord Jesus, you have redeemed us through faith in Jesus Christ. And so we receive this communion in faith, Lord, knowing that this is who we are now. Lord, that my sin doesn't have to be... I, don't, I can't clean myself. I'm not going to clean myself. There's no other thing that can fix completely and totally broken like this egg. It's only the miracle of God, the miracle of the gospel that begins to put my life back together and to redeem and to restore. So Lord, we receive this in faith, God, that you are our redeemer, the redeemers of our souls, Lord, the lovers of our souls, God, our Father and our big brother. We thank you so much in Jesus' name.